grab your Bible, let's go to our text for today, Revelation chapter 8. That's kind of a prophecy update. And let's read, let's stand, let's read, and we'll cover verses 3 through uh, 7 for today. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So the third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So, Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your text, for your word, Lord God, because you have been faithful to give it to us, Lord God. We thank you now as we turn to it, Lord, that we can trust that you'll speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would remove from our hearts and our minds the cares of this life and the burdens of this world, and that you would even remove the distractions from the room, that we may hear clearly what you have to say, that we may be encouraged, rebuked, and corrected, or all that you have for us we receive now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so last week we covered the first part of this, that when he opened the seventh seal, and we talked about that. We've gone through all the seals. This seventh seal, though, if you, if you will, is giving way now to seven trumpets. Somehow, uh, we don't fully understand. Scholars are always divided about the secession of all of this. But we take it literally, unless we shouldn't, um, unless there's a reason why we shouldn't. And we see these things unfold. So as he opens the seventh seal, remember, that is when we're going to begin to see the trumpets blow. But prior to the trumpets blowing, there seems to be this, this moment of pause, which is preparation and contemplation for what is about to happen. And so as that happens, a, a, a silence happens in heaven for the space of about a half hour. I didn't do it last week because I didn't want to be responsible. But I told you that J. Vernon McGee had a theory that he said, and I don't say it because I ain't getting in trouble, but did anybody go back and look up what J. Vernon McGee said? Anybody? And none of you did? Are y'all doing your homework? How many of you are taking notes? Raise your hand. Be honest. Okay. Come on. 
J. Vernon McGee's theory was that there were no women in heaven at that moment because it was silent for 30 minutes. I would never say that. No, seriously. I would never say that. I would never say that. J. Vernon McGee did. But you remember, no, my theory is that there's silence in heaven for the space of a half hour because of something that they notice that's happening, particularly on the throne, as God is preparing himself to pour his wrath out on the world that he has promised through the ages. You see, I told you last week that God never desired, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, he never desired anyone to perish, but that all men would be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. That's what the scripture says. The Bible even tells us that God didn't prepare hell for us, but for Satan and his angels. So he never desired for his wrath to come down upon mankind, but mankind who has rejected him over and over and over are going to receive his wrath. And so because of that, there's a pause. And verse 2, remember, and he said, I saw the, 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 these angels that stand before God, seven of them, and to them were given seven trumpets, okay? And so we're preparing ourselves to see the trumpets blast. And the trumpets are significant in that we see them throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. They always symbolize a change, they single, uh, signal a change in timing or events, or they're declaring a changing in time or events, we see throughout the Old Testament that the trumpets were given to Israel to sound off when it was time for the congregation to gather. They would blow the trumpet, you know. That's why I often tell y'all, hey, when you hear the worship leader uh, beginning to pray and you out in the lobby talking, hey, that's the trumpet blast. Get in the sanctuary, you know. So the trumpet blast meant often if they blew it a certain way that the people would come so Moses could speak to the congregation. Or if they sounded off the trumpet a particular way, it meant that the 70 elders were to gather so that Moses could have a leadership meeting, if you will. But it was also, we saw in the Old Testament, that the trumpet also would blast when it was time to go out to war. Okay? And it would sound the trumpet when it was time to prepare to go to war. We also see in the Old Testament that, that there were times when the trumpet would blow to declare a time of rest. In fact, on the seventh month, the first day, they would have a, a, if you will, a holy convocation. It would be a Sabbath rest, and they would have a feast of trumpets, and the trumpets would blow. And so throughout the Old Testament, they signaled things. In fact, trumpets blasted, I believe supernaturally, in the book of Exodus. I believe it was right around chapter 19 on Mount Sinai when judgment came, the judgment of the law was given to Moses. In fact, God said to Moses, hey, get the people ready because on tomorrow, at the, tra- at the blast of the trumpet, you know, have the people draw near. And Moses did that. He says, put a boundary, though, so they can't come up the mountain so that none of them die. He gave specific instructions. And so on the next day, God descended upon the mountain, and there was lightnings and, 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 and smoke ascending up. And the trumpet blast was so frightening, the people trembled. And they drew near the mountain. So Moses, I, you see, I love that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I pray that one day, you know, I always think of the rapture when that happens and the trumpet sounding. And so this is good. God loves when we gather. He's a little character in it. Amen. If we move to a building away from the tracks, we might record it um, just for nostalgia. We can play it every now and then. So, but, you know, I squirrel with stuff like that, too. So I don't. So, yes. Yeah, so the trumpet was blasting. And the thing is. That God called Moses up the mountain. 
Moses went up the mountain, and then God said, now go down. <laughs> it's, it's very funny if you read it. I was reading this yesterday. Moses went up, and God said, now get down and tell the people not to come through the, you know, not to come up here. And Moses like, you know, well, Lord, they won't come through. Remember you told us to put the boundary? And, and, and he said, get down and tell them not to come up. Why? Because God knows the heart of his people. And so he said, I know they're rebellious, and they're going to come through the boundary I told you to put there. So get down and remind them. And then, you know, so Moses went down. So God actually says, now get down, then come up. And I'm like, I'm reading this, and Moses is like, I guess God is getting him, you know, getting his cardio in because leadership requires <laughs> endurance. And so all of that was happening. The trumpets were blasting on the day that the law was given. And so we see that throughout Scripture. Um, some like to equate these, these seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet being the, 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 the last trumpet blast that Paul talked about. Um, that we would be changed at the, at the last trump, or, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and they equate the rapture to happening at the seventh trumpet, but that doesn't seem to agree with Scripture, okay? But the trumpets meant different things at different times and different seasons for the nation of Israel as they do here. And these seven trumpets are the seven trumpets that, if you will, usher in God's direct wrath upon man. Remember I told you the opening of the seals was God withholding his protection for men and allowing things to happen. But this pause that happens in heaven for 30 minutes is because now God's direct wrath is about to be poured out upon the world. And so as we continue here in verse uh, 3 and 4, notice it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it, notice, with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before the throne, excuse me, before God from the angel's hand. And so while this pause is happening, this little ceremony takes place. Now, notice there's an altar here. It's very interesting. We see this altar before God's throne, and we see this incense going up. And I want you to notice in particularly in verse 3 that it says that it's the prayers of all the saints are being offered with the incense. You see that? The prayers of all the saints. Now, we don't know whether this is all the saints that are still on earth at this point, or it could speak of prayers mixed in from all of time that have gone up before the Lord. We don't know, but it seems that God has this thing perpetually happening because if you remember back in chapter 5, verse 8, on the screen it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, meaning when Jesus took the scroll out of his Father's hand, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each notice having harps and a golden and had golden bowls full of incense, which are what, y'all? The prayers of the saints. So it seems that God has this thing kind of going on, this collection of prayers that are offered regularly before his throne. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe in your house or in your car, you like playing worship music. Anybody like that? Maybe just background worship sometimes. Sometimes you're actually worshiping. Sometimes it's just background music to keep you in the presence of God. And, you know, I think God likes doing the same thing in heaven but different. Because it seems to me that these prayers are soothing to God. Just like worship is soothing to us, it creates a soothing atmosphere. And I think God loves to hear and have offered before him the constant reminder of those whom he loved 
and their prayers to him, as well as their worship. You know, the Bible says we offer the fruit of our, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, which is praise to God. You know that, that our, we, we even offer our bodies, our service as a living sacrifice, which is reasonable to God, you know. And so there is this thing that blesses him when we worship him and when we uh, pray to him. And I would encourage you, because if you come in the congregation and sometimes you feel dry, and you don't know how to participate in worship. But let me encourage you in your private time to begin to have worship going on in your life, whether you keep it playing in the background and you often turn to him in prayer and you often spend time with him. It teaches you how to be in the presence of the Lord throughout the week and to meditate on who he is. Remember, the Bible says frequently, and particularly in Psalm chapter 1, that those who meditate on the word day and night are planted and secure and yield fruit in their seasons and prosper in what they do because what they're doing is that which is the will of God in their life. Amen? Okay, so even in difficult times, they're prospering because they're praising God. I've been in the cancer center where the people are coming in, but they're praising God. They're encouraging the nurses and, they're, you know, sharing their testimonies and God working through people's lives. And so as, as God sits on his throne, it's these prayers that are coming before him. Look at it again in verse Four, it says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand, and it's providing something that is soothing to him. And so it's these prayers, I think, which in this moment encourage God. Remember I told you that this silence in heaven for the space of a half hour was preparing for the wrath that was coming. And so because God is merciful, because God is gracious, because God is loving, he doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all would be saved. But unfortunately, that's not the case. He is given free will, and he has not violated it. And some have accepted his love and his salvation, and others have rejected. And so he pauses before that. But also, I want to tell you this. It's also because God is righteous, because God is just, because God is the one who must fulfill his word, then therefore wrath must come. So these prayers, listen, the prayers of the saints are not just soothing, if you will, to God, but it's also that which encourages and even brings to God's mind and attention that he must fulfill his word, that he must pour out wrath because that is what he has said in his word through all time, that those who reject him would spend eternity in hell, a Christless hell without God and torment forever. And it's, remember, it's Jesus who has said that this is the wrath of the lamb. We see that here in the scripture. And it's Jesus who has talked about hell and even wrath more than any other New Testament preacher. And so it's that time has finally come, as we see here in the text, where God must pour out his wrath. But, you know, it's not what he desires to do. I would say for anybody watching online or anybody here, as we see that everything that Jesus has told us, we've already seen so much, it come, so much of it come to pass, as I remind you in the prophetic updates. We also then must realize that everything that he promises that will come, that's still to come, is coming. And so, therefore, his wrath is coming. And the Bible is very clear that only those who come to faith in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life. And if you haven't done that, and you're sitting here today knowing that you haven't done that, whether you are a young person, a youth, an adult, in the times we live in, every pastor, every shepherd who has love in his heart, and love hurts, love is painful, 
Love cost Jesus his life on the cross. The Bible says that he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross. Love is painful. Our salvation was pricely paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. We were purchased. And so therefore, wrath must come. And so if you have not come to faith in Christ, let me urge you that tomorrow is not promised and the tribulation is not a time to try to get that right, as I've already said, because God is going to send strong delusion. And so we see this here, that wrath is coming. And God is going to declare it now in verse 5 and 6 as we're getting close to having to close here. Notice it says in verse 5 and 6, Then the angel took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now remember, this is the second time we've seen an altar mentioned in the book of Revelation. We saw one back in chapter 6. Y'all remember back in chapter 6, the souls of those who had been slain for their testimony, they were under the altar. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember the rules, right? Work with me. Okay. I mean, I don't have to end on time. We can just let the third service join us. I'll just keep going if y'all don't interact with me. So we saw them there, and now we see this altar here where the, where the prayers are being offered before God. And we think about these altars, and if you remember that here in the book of Revelation, we are seeing the beauty of that which God told Moses to model in the Old Testament, which is why lots of times reading the Old Testament and reading the book of Revelation get, kind of gives us a sense of what was happening in the Old Testament and even clarity as to what's going on here. And in the Old Testament, there were two altars, and we see them in the book of Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7 on your screen. Notice it says, And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of burnt offerings, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Two altars, one, the, 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 the altar of burnt offerings, which they put the sacrifices and burned them, but then the altar of sweet incense is in the first compartment of the holy place, and that is where the high priest burns incense daily in the Old Testament. What was he doing? If he fully understood it or not, we don't know. But what he was doing was that which the angels were already doing in heaven. And it was a picture of God in the mercy seat representing the throne and the prayers of the saints coming before him daily. And so we see that picture that in heaven there is an altar of incense, if you will, before the throne of God, and our prayers are being offered before him. And that should encourage you to participate in heavenly worship now by praying to God every day and having a lifestyle of conversation with the Lord that does not have to end. And why do I say it does not have to end? Because the book of Nehemiah teaches us that Nehemiah prayed in himself while he was standing before the king. The king asked him a question. He prayed and then gave the king an answer. It never said he left the room and went and prayed somewhere. He stood there before the king, but he had an internal prayer. Do y'all see that? Y'all understand what I'm saying? So therefore, they, they, look, because he is alive, the God of Israel never sleeps nor slumbers. God ain't taking a break. Now, Elisha, when he challenged the 450 prophets of Baal, he picked on their God, which was not a God, and said, well, he must have went to the bathroom because they didn't have a God. Y'all feel, y'all, y'all with me, right? Well, we have a God who is alive and well. Our Jesus is alive and well. Amen? Never checking out. The Bible says he's always at the right hand of the Father interceding for his bride, which would be the church. That's us.
always praying for us. So let us not for, forget to add to the incense in heaven with our lives. Man, if they look, if, if he's got prayers coming before him, I want mine to be a part of the, the, the I need my prayers in the bowl too. I mean, maybe you don't want yours. <laughs> I don't know. But don't you? Don't you? And see, we often think of it in this way because we are carnal to some degree. We, we think about, I want my prayers to get in the throne room because I want my prayer answered. I just, you know, sometimes I just want to be remembered up there with everybody else. Because see, one thing I know, no matter what happens down here, you know, the Bible says that the suffering of this time is not to be compared. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So no matter what happens down here, I know that our life there is glorious and eternal. I just want my prayers to be included now with the worship that's going on up there. And when I get up there, I want to join into it and be able to experience that for all eternity. Remember, we talked about that at the end of the chapter 7. We talked about how in his presence, we will never get tired. We will long to always be in his presence, and we will have that opportunity. And so I want my prayers to come before the throne. And so that's what's happening here. So these prayers both soothe God, but they also remind him of why he's pouring wrath out on the world. So the angel took the censer filled it with fire from this particular altar where the prayers of the saints are always being offered. We're looking at it in verse 5. And so he took fire from that altar and threw it to the earth. And you know what he just did? He just made a declaration. Wrath is about to begin. And we don't know what it looks like, but when he threw it to the earth, notice there were noises, thunderings, kind of like when the law came. And lightning, but here in an earthquake, just like if you go back and read a Mount Sinai quaked. When the law came, it happened. And here as wrath is about to be poured out, these things are beginning to take place. And we don't have a full understanding of what this is. You know, he says noises. Well, what noises, John? Don't you wish he had told us a little bit more? We don't know. We know Paul says, I knew a man 14 years ago who died, basically got caught up into heaven. He heard things that were unlawful to even try to repeat, so he didn't write them down. So maybe John just, it was too much. He's just noises, y'all. That's all y'all can get, you know. <laughs> if you tried, it'd take him a couple chapters, and we still wouldn't get it. There were noises, y'all, and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And then notice in verse 6, as we're running out of time. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so we're going to begin the blast of these seven trumpets. And at the blast of each trumpet, God will pour out a portion of wrath. And see, there's no turning back now. From this point on, it gets pretty bad. We're going to see some stuff over the next few chapters, well, the next, all the way to chapter 19, honestly, which are hard to even imagine. But let's look at a little bit of it as we close. The first one, first trumpet, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. And we begin to imagine what this might be like, and we try to begin to figure it out. And a lot of the old, old scholars who wrote commentaries will try to spiritualize this to mean something else non-related. And remember, I told you that one of the mistakes that the church made and a lot of the, the, the theologians who were writing commentaries in the 1800s and 1700s were really screwing up the book of Revelation. 
and they didn't mean to, but where they made their mistake is because the world that they saw, there were certain things that just wasn't in place. So they figured that instead of taking scripture literally, they would make changes to scripture. So in other words, it's like this, even if we just go back 100 years ago, but if you go back to 1800 and something, and some of the commentaries that I really like as far as other books of the Bible, but because there was no Israel that was in existence during that time, they began to spiritualize a lot of verses that pertain to Israel and try to apply them to the church. Of course, we got replacement theology through all of that. Well, that really messed them up when they got to the book of Revelation, and they began to do some very weird things. Like, you know, they began to say that um, a lot of these things that we saw in the seven letters or or even here as the seals are being opened, these seals represent the church conquering throughout the church age, all this kind of weird stuff, and they really get off track, okay? And so when they get to these trumpets, sometimes even there, they begin to spiritualize what all of these things might mean as though it must be some type of figurative thing that we got to reach way far out to make sense of. And in verse 7, I see no reason not to take this literally and say this, I don't fully understand what it is, but John did his best. And what he described, notice the angels sounded in hell. Well, we know hell. We see hell when it comes down, right? So it's something in John's eyes that kind of looks like hell follow, uh, and fire mingled together uh, with blood being thrown. And the fact that it's thrown gives a supernatural element is thrown to the earth. Now, as we go through these trumpets, these first four trumpets, we're going to see stuff that looks a lot like asteroids and meteors, okay, and, 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 and asteroid fields coming into the Earth's atmosphere. We're going to see a lot of it that looks like that. And there is the possibility of that. Uh, in fact, when we get to Wormwood, there are a lot of people now that think that Wormwood is going to be fulfilled by this asteroid they've named Apophis that's supposed to come into or come near the Earth in uh, 2029. Anybody heard of that one? If you were watching the live stream when we're in a lockdown, I told you about it. Okay. Um, which is supposed to pass somewhere between the moon and earth. And so a lot of people are freaking out thinking that that's the, uh, you know, the fulfillment of Wormwood. And, and, and no, not, not, not necessarily. I mean, we don't know, but I don't think that's what it is. But a lot of that we can see. And remember chapter six, there were four angels at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds. Okay. And so right now, and I told you, that's removing God's protection. Right now, we know that most of the things that come into our atmosphere burn up because of the way God has designed the earth. And it's very, very weird. A lot of deception out there today, if you watch the news, that scientists are now saying that there are a bunch of other, uh, you know, galaxies and systems that are like ours and have life. Anybody see that foolishness this week in the news? Y'all didn't? Okay. All right. So right now we know most of that stuff burns up because of God's protective hand, which he will lift as the seals begin to open. But here's what we know happens. The result of whatever this is that comes into the earth's atmosphere thrown to the earth, notice that a third of the trees are burned up. And all, do you see all? Do you see that? All green grass? Now, I know y'all because I get to visit you, and some of y'all are a little obsessive about your grass. <laughs> I mean, you can have, as a, bo as a brother in the room, I'm not going to look at him, but you can have an hour conversation with him about his grass. And I mean, it looks like a golf course, you know? <laughs> 
But this is going to be a destruction of those things. And we might say, well, that's okay. I mean, look, you know, we can, we can, we can give that up as long as, long as it's not destroying a third of mankind. But what we fail to understand is because of the systems that God has put in place, this has a very serious effect upon the planet. You see, when the sun shines, plants absorb the sunlight. They produce energy and end up releasing oxygen into the air. We know that, right? Um, we understand that our atmosphere is 21% oxygen, and we need oxygen to live. Oxygen is a byproduct of plant life and the processes that they have as well as marine life. Okay, we understand that. Um, and so, look, we ex- inhale that oxygen for survival. We know that. We, we exhale carbon dioxide. Plants require carbon dioxide. So there's this, if you will, this process in which God has put in place that causes life to exist and thrive. And so every time we breathe in that oxygen, and I don't take it for granted now, I had to spend some time in the hospital this week visiting, um, and I was allowed to come in and visit. And I I say the doctors, the nurses, the people working there, God bless them. All they want is to walk outside for a minute and breathe because when you got to wear a mask for most of your day, some nice oxygen is a blessing. When I got outside, I was just like, ah, you know. But yes, but we breathe that oxygen in and we take for granted how much plant life works to provide that and help that. Uh, you know, not only that water, plant, the, the plant life on earth regulates the water cycle by distributing and purifying, uh, you know, the plant's water supply throughout the earth. We, we see that helps with life altogether. Plants store carbon by pulling it from the air. Plants help keep much of the carbon dioxide produced from our burning of fossil fuels and stuff like that out of the atmosphere. So they're filtering, they're releasing, they're constantly doing something. And a third of the trees, you know, one of the things I've always been fascinated by were the redwoods in California, how they pump out of the ground and they even suck in from up because they're so high in order for them to survive. Do you know that a tree is simply a, a, a very, if you will, a very um, beautifully made system in and of itself. It's pumping out of the ground. It's pulling out of the air. The energy of the sun fuels that thing, and it is accomplishing something that is required for us to enjoy the life that we have. And part of God's wrath will be taken from the earth. Notice in verse 7, a third of the trees and all of the grass. And from that point, listen to me, From that point, because we're out of time, as the worship team makes their way up, we haven't even gotten to the second trumpet. And this first trumpet has changed the quality of life on earth. And the toxic air quality is going down, and the the air is becoming toxic, and it's going to increasingly become more and more toxic as these trumpets unfold. And this is just a small part of the wrath that is to come, which we can't get into any more this week. So we'll cover all the way down through the fourth trumpet next week and, um, and see how this continues to unfold. The beauty of this is, stay, stay with me for a moment as we get ready to close. The beauty is this. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Amen. Amen. What we're reading is what is coming. So as we feast upon this word, we give God thanks that he's promised to to take us into eternity, but we need to have an increased sense of urgency to pray for your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your parents maybe, um, your coworkers, people around you 
who God gives you opportunity to say, you know why I'm not worried about all of these things? Because none of it is a surprise to me because my Lord already told me in Scripture what was coming. And, he, and, and beyond this, he already told me the promises that he's laid out for us. That's what we're called to do now. We're living in a great time. Don't be down by what you see. Don't let this stuff bother you. If you know Scripture, you know it's going to get worse. Look, when, okay. Nobody can save this mess, okay? It's, 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 it's going to hell in a handbasket, all right? I'm just trying to tell you. There's nothing we're going to do to make the world better. I think that day has passed, okay? Perpetual unfaithfulness to God is what has happened. Now, our job is to be the light of the world, the salt of the world, the salt of the earth, by preaching the gospel, by showing his true love towards people so that we can see real change happen. Amen? You got people who worship Satan in Raleigh today trying to create chaos to bring in a world government. They're going to get their world government. They're going to get their leader. They will. But we know who ours is. Amen? Um, So July 4th, it looks like we'll gather at the square, um, by the way, to to pray. Um, So we're working it out. Pastors are going to gather as many as willing to come. So if you ain't going to the beach... Um, we're going to try to do from 11 to noon and have food out there too. So you can just come on out. We're not going to do chairs and stuff because of social distancing. So if it all goes down for the food part, bring a blanket or a chair. But for the beginning part, we're just going to kind of very simply, very simply, there are things you can't do because of social distancing. So no stages and chairs. Very simply, we're going to worship and pray. We're going to sing songs no matter how many churches come, we'll sing the simple songs that all the congregations that come know like Amazing Grace. If you don't know that one, we might need to share the gospel with you. <laughs> anyway, every Christian can sing Amazing Grace. How sweet. So we'll sing, we'll pray, we'll sing, we'll pray. Police chief will be there. If anything changes, though, I'll let you know next week. Um, but that's the plan right now. That's a loose plan. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be here today and for your faithfulness to us. You are the faithful witness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for saving us and for keeping us. And so as we go out of this place today, I pray that you would lead us through this week, each person through this week, protect them in their cars, their homes, their jobs, marketplaces, wherever it is that we go, that you would be with us and protect us, Lord God, reminding us to call upon you, to thank you, to conversate with you, Lord God, in prayer, to worship you, Lord God, with our lips and our lifestyle. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.